0: Hello, hello, hello. You've reached the Hyper Guy Motivational Podcast. Thank you so, so much for being here today. I'm super excited. I have the opportunity to interview a wonderful person that I've looked up to for a long, long time. Uh, his name is Brian Garcia from MA Junkie Radio. Um, everybody calls him "Goes," but uh, he's Brian to me. But I want to thank you so much, uh, Brian, for being here today. You're one of the people I looked look, look up to in my life. And uh, and you're and you're one of those people that I look up to because you've achieved your goals and you're doing things that really, really make you happy. That's your passion in life. And that's what I want to talk to you about today, because this is really about leadership and people achieving their goals and how they achieve their goals in life. So um, so the first thing I'm going to do, if you can tell me a little bit about yourself and uh, what you do and uh, a little bit about your journey.
1: Yeah. So, uh, thank you for reaching out. I mean, the pleasure's all mine. Uh, you're a good friend. I've known you for quite a long time, f- pretty much 15 years to be exact, but I, uh, I host a-, a podcast. Um, it's called MMA junkie radio and this is our 15th year here in existence. And it started off as kind of a joke and a joke that just built into something that was really, really big. We went from being a show that we started in our kitchen, to um, from there, I think th- our next step was we went on television and we had a little run on television. And then from there, went to Sirius XM and then uh, with the pandemic and everything back to being a podcast. But uh, we are owned by it's obviously it's attached to MMA Junkie. MMA Junkie's is uh, owned by USA Today. So technically we are uh, owned by USA Today.
0: And so give me a little bit about like your journey growing up. Like you started this 15 years ago. Like how did the, what was the genesis of this? What motivated you to do this? What were you doing? This at, were you working another job at the same time? What inspired you to do this?
1: Well, what happened was we were all MMA fans. My brother and I, I say we, because I do the show with my brother, George, and we are big MMA fans, but, uh, it was a little bit of like a cult following at the time. Not very many people knew about mixed martial arts. So well, what would happen was I had an instructor, a karate instructor, and he would, uh, he, he would do these tournaments all the time. And, you know, as students, we would compete in these tournaments. And to me, that was like the closest thing to a UFC at the time. Mm-hmm. And so um, we have this background, you know, of just loving combat sports. Our dad He was a big boxing fan so we would watch wild world world of sports as kids and the olympics and then that would turn into the mike tyson era the sugar leonards and watching pay-per-views at home so we've always loved combat sports and i at the time was doing a blog on myspace and that's why george always in the beginning would introduce me as a top 10 blogger what happened was uh, the blog that i did got kind of popular and to explain how popular, um, every day about, I want to say it was like 500,000 people would put a blog right up on MySpace. They talk about whatever it is they liked, but mine was always in the top 10. And so like the people that were up there with me were like Kim Kardashian, Paris Hilton, people like that. Right. And, um, and I would do this blog and little by little, I would incorporate MMA into it. I would interview fighters. And I think it, the, the segment was called like 25 Questions with Goes. And so I would interview people like Kenny Florian back in the day, Mayhem Miller. And I'd do like one a month. And that kind of created uh, a little bit of a following that I had on my blog, as well as a little bit of an MMA following. So at the time, we were fans of what was one of the only MMA radio shows out there. It was called Sound Off. It was MMA Weekly Show. And it was hosted by a guy named Ryan Bennett. And his co-host was a professional fighter, Frank Trigg. We would listen to that every day. And my routine was, I would wake up in the morning and grab my bowl of cereal. And I would be probably finishing up homework or something because I was going to college at the time. And I would be listening to the show. And the show had a little chat room called the Combat Chat. Or no, back then it was called the Live Fighter Chat. And just the same people over and over every day. You would talk to them. And you would listen to the show as the routine. But one day I came out of class and I checked my voicemail. It was my brother. And um, actually, let me rewind a little bit. Uh, The same way you reached out to me for my podcast, we had reached out to, to Frank Trigg and Ryan Bennett. Ryan Bennett had said one day, Trigg's phone is awful. If somebody buys him a new phone, I think he said something like, I'll give you advertisement or something like that, right? So my brother goes, hey, you know, Phones aren't that expensive. Why don't we get them a phone? And at least we get to meet them, you know? And so uh, he did that. He got Frank Trigg a phone and we just became friends with them. So when they would come broadcast in California at events, we would go into the hotel room and watch the live show. We would even help them. We would go into the lobby of the hotel and bring fighters up for them to interview. Well, we became friends. So one day uh, I was coming out of class. I checked my voicemail. It was my brother, and my brother had said, "Hey, I have really bad news. Uh, Ryan passed away in a car accident," and it just annihilated me. You know, it's like a voice that I would hear every day is gone. My favorite show is gone, Mm -hmm. and so for a couple months, we went with no show. There was there's nothing else, so there was nothing else to do. So one day, I told my brother at IHOP, of all places, I go, "Look, man." I have this following on my blog and uh, Trig is a fighter. Goes, Why don't we do the show? You know, we'd have an instant audience. And I remember telling him this specifically, which is going to sound weird now. I told him I have one rule. I'll produce it, but I don't want to talk. I don't want to be on the, the show. And so uh, he agreed. But everything we do, we're very calculated. So it took us about six months to get from point A to the start of the show we wanted the best equipment and figure out how to do everything because back then nobody knew what podcasting was, you know, like even today you kind of bring up a podcast and people are still trying to figure out what that is. Imagine what it was like 15 years ago. And so uh, it took us a while to figure that out. And when we did it, it just steamrolled, you know, it was nonstop. We couldn't catch up. Uh, the numbers were really good and they would just keep getting better and better and better. And it little by little, it just inched out into becoming our career versus something that we did on the side.
0: So let me ask you this, how did you, uh, were you working another job at the time and how did you, how were you making it like financially? Like, obviously you're in a situation where this is my passion, but how do I monetize Mm -hmm. this? And because you want to make some living because I mean, you're telling me that you produced it. How did you, how did you motivate yourself to learn how to do the producing? How did you make the contact with these fighters? Because it shows a lot of aspiration. The fact that you would go out and you were so passionate about this that you'd go out and make those connections to speak with these fighters every month for your blog. How did that happen?
1: Well, at the time, I had um, a condo that I had sold. And I got a pretty good chunk of change from that. And so what I would do for the longest time, I had this weird routine where, like, when we got out of high school, a lot of my friends got married, and they just kind of became adults. Um, actually, it was maybe a little bit of the reverse. So I would go to school, and I would go to work, and then I would go to school at night. And a lot of my friends were out partying, actually, and having fun. And I could never do any of that with them, because I, was, I had this condo that I had to pay for and all these responsibilities. And so I eventually sold that condo and got like a nice chunk of change. And my parents, who lived in Paris, California at the time, we were born and raised in Orange County. They said, why don't you move in with us over here for a year and just go full time to school so you can move this along? And I thought about it. I was like, well, I have this extra money. So I'll just go over there, go to school full time. And when it's time to transfer to university, I'll do that. In the meantime, I'll have time to do this podcast. So I would do this podcast and um, with George, and uh, I just kind of lived off the money that I made from the sale of the condo. And yeah, it was kind of weird. Um, then when my life kind of freed up, all my friends had kids and responsibilities, and so I, I kind of missed out on having a little bit of that middle adult life a little bit, I think, because uh, I was just enamored with this podcast.
0: And so you were like really driven by your passion for, for, for MMA. Mm-hmm. So this is what your passion was. So, uh, so you were driven by that. So was there any, did you ever get to a point like a couple of things, where did you get that passion from? Like, where did that come from? Did it come, did it come from the way you were raised? Did it come from something that came inside of you? What motivated you? Did you have mentors? What pushed you to take this big leap because you're taking a big leap Um, because it was not, you weren't getting paid for this. So you were taking a big, and it was taking a big portion of your life to do this. What made you take that chance?
1: Probably, uh, if I had to point to one thing, I mean, there was a lot of them, but but one thing that really shook me in high school, I had, I used to take, I used to love, love the love MMA so much that I would try my, my best to get my hands on fights and because you couldn't just like. Couldn't download them or, or find them on YouTube the way you can today. So I'd have to call Blockbuster all the time. I heard rumors of this this uh, organization in Japan, and maybe I could get a video there. I would harass them, or I would drive to the Gracie Academy and hope there's a new Gracie in action video. So I would get these videos, and I would put them all on one video, so all my favorite fights, and then I would show them to my buddies at school. And and eventually, I think I sold, them. I would sell them to them. Like, here's 10 bucks, you have like the best fights of the UFC and some from Pancrase, all on one videotape, right? Well, a teacher caught me one day, she got the video. And um, as far as I remember, like I got in trouble because obviously I shouldn't be selling videotapes at school or passing videotapes. But the next day, I guess is when she finally popped it in to see what it was. So they asked me to go to the office. And in the office, they had the district psychologist. Um, they had the, the principal, assistant principal, a teacher. A bunch of people were in there, counselors. And they started asking me all these strange questions. And what it, what it ended up being was that uh, they thought something was wrong with me because I enjoyed watching that. So they thought maybe I was getting beat up at home or something. Like They were asking me all these questions. And I remember the teacher that found it. Said something to me that always bothered me, and she said, um, "You'll never get it anywhere in life, cracking jokes and and you know watching fights and all that." And it bothered me because this is a time when people didn't like mixed martial arts. You know, they call it human cockfighting, and I knew it wasn't that. You know, I'd studied martial arts. I, I understand that there's technique in here, and they're, they're they're doing something out there, and I'm just throwing blows like on, on YouTube. And it really bothered me that she had said that. And I think what I really wanted to do was prove people wrong and kind of educate people along the way that this is actually a sport. There's a lot that goes into this. And so I think it was probably if there's going to be a drive, it's a drive to uh, help create something, educate people, and maybe to just prove people wrong that, that thought that all I wanted to do is have fun and, and joke around like you can actually make something out of your passion.
0: Yeah, you know, it's funny. That's one of the reasons why I wanted this podcast so much was because I grew up and um, I grew up pretty poor uh, and nobody really expected me to do anything much of just maybe get a, 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 a standard job and not really pursue my passions. They didn't really have high expectations for me. And so what I really love about this story and one of the reasons I wanted to have you on here so much was because of this, because... You didn't allow somebody to limit you. In fact, you took that and you said, I'm going to prove this person wrong and I'm going to work really, really hard to achieve my goals. And that's exactly what you did. So then what was the next step? So after you, um, after you started the, the, the podcast with Mr. Triggs, you went ahead and it kind of expanded from there. What were the next steps in terms of uh, the evolution of MMA Junkie?
1: Well, at first we, um, we would do it out of our kitchen in Santa Ana, California. And then it came time for me to transfer to university. So I, had, um, I always wanted to do, when it came to university, I wanted to do something completely opposite to the way I grew up, right? So I grew up close to the beach. Um, I wanted to do something somewhere where there was like snow or something different, right? So I had applied to a lot of schools back East. And my backup school was UNLV. So I applied to Michigan State, Penn State, Virginia Tech, Florida State, Arizona State, uh, Washington, I think. And so anyway, um, the backup school was UNLV because my family's very tight. And I know it would probably break my mother's heart if I would take off to the other side of the country. So I thought, all right, worst case scenario, if everybody makes a big deal, I'll go to UNLV. I've always loved their basketball team. And uh, it's just a one-hour flight. If something were to ever happen, I can be home in one hour and and three-and-a-half-hour drive. Well, sure enough, everybody didn't want me to go to Virginia Tech, which is where I wanted to go. And I ended up going to UNLV. So what that meant was I had to move out to Vegas. And when I moved out to Vegas, Frank Trigg lived in Vegas. So what happened was George would start the show back in Santa Ana, California, and we would phone in. So I would drive to Frank Trigg's house every morning. Uh, we would sit at his dinner table and we would both have cordless phones in the same room. And that's how we would do the show.
0: Uh, I think that's amazing. And then what was this next steps from there? I know you you used to invite fighters over your house. I remember when I would listen to the podcast and it would be interesting. You'd be having such an intimate conversation with these fighters and they would actually be in your home. <laughs> so. Mm-hmm. Can you give me an idea? How did you make that work? Um, I know it was a niche because I, I've been into MMA and Brazilian you jitsu forever. And it was very, very kind of a small niche and group of people. Um, how did you contact these fighters and athletes and how did you get them to your house? And uh, what kind of motivation did they want to do it freely or uh, how did how, what was the genesis of that? And then kind of how you how it sprung and, and grew out to um, the UFC, you know, working with interviewing fighters and MMA junkie and then ultimately serious and, uh, and US
1: yeah. entity. So then, um, I think like our first in studio guest was Mike Gaiman, Mike, the Joker Gaiman. And the second one was like the next day, which was Cub Swanson. And that, that might've been like episode three and four or something. And Frank had, had, uh, facilitated those interviews and we were pretty friendly with Cub Swanson because he was a local fighter. He was an Orange County guy. And so back then they didn't do media, really. You know, there there really wasn't. Like even uh, Cub was a WEC fighter. He didn't really have to do much media either, you know. It's not like ESPN's calling or anything like that. So I think they enjoyed the idea of being on a show. So they would drive to our house in the morning, and we would sit down and we would do the show with them. And then afterwards we would usually go grab a bite to eat. By this time now I had already moved back to or moved to Vegas. So a couple of these George would have to to be with them at home, and then we would just be on the phone. So one of them I remember on one of our trips back to California, we went to the Playboy Chan, Playboy Mansion for a strikeforce card. And Chuck Zito was there. And I loved Oz and and Chuck Zito. So I remember I wanted to talk to him. I go, Hey Trig, do you know Chuck Zito? And he goes, I know him. He goes go say hi see if he, he goes see if he wants to do the show i'm like but i'm me you know i can't just walk up to him and go hey you want to do a show and he goes just go man like we were all having fun at the playboy mansion i think the last thing trig wanted to do is stop whatever he was doing and go that way so i remember shaking i was so nervous so i go over and i i say mr zito would uh my name's goes i do uh mma or at the time it was tag radio and Frank Trigg, and he goes, I know Frank Trigg, that's my voice. And that I go, well, we'd love to have you on the show sometime. Uh, and he goes, how do you do it? And you know, I explained, and he goes, can I just do it like with you and in studio? And I'm like, well, we do it out of our home. He goes, who cares? I'll just go there. And I was taken back by I was like, really? And he's like, yeah, yeah. So he gave me his number and all that. And I remember one day at UNLV, as I'm going into my class, I would do my classes at night. My brother says, hey, we need a guest for tomorrow. And I go, you know what? Let me try Chuck Zito. So I called him from outside my class. And I go, hey, do you want to do the show? And he goes, of course. I'd love to do it. He goes, I'm actually, because he lives in New York. He goes, I'm actually in Orange County. And I'm like, oh, really? And he goes, yeah. He goes, do you think you could pick me up tomorrow, and I'll just do it from your house? And I was like, this is the strangest thing ever. And I'm like, yeah, okay." So George went, picked them up. Brought him to the house. We that was probably our very first big in studio guest, and he was there for two hours. He took calls from fans, told stories, and then afterwards, everybody went out to eat. But from there, um, we just noticed that when we're all together, the show was better. And so um, I convinced George to move to Las Vegas, and he came out to Las Vegas. By then, I had uh, we were renting a, a couple rooms in my buddy's house. And he just didn't have anything in his house. So he had this one room that was completely empty, a living room. And we turned it into a little uh, studio. And George moved in. And so every day Frank would, would drive to the house and we would do the show. And by then it kind of looked a little better. There were things on the walls and we had our rock star fridge. And from there, the in-studio guests, now being in Las Vegas, turned into like Frank Mir, Ariane Celeste, wow. Randy Couture, Vanderlei Silva. And they would all just come to our house and do the show from there. And, uh, yeah, that was probably, like, the next step in in our evolution for our show.
0: And, and what, what, were you in school at the time? And so you were in – let me try to get this right. You were in school at the time, and mm-hmm. then you were also managing this kind of this growing podcast that had all these, you know, up-and-coming famous fighters. How was that? Was, was it very stressful for you? And how were you handling all your stress? And what, what did you do to kind of make sure that you – stayed on point growing the radio station while still achieving, you know, meeting the other demands of your life?
1: It was pretty difficult, but there were a lot of people that helped along the way. And that's why like in my life, I like to help people out because I realized that I couldn't have gotten anywhere. Whatever this is that I'm at, I couldn't have gotten there without the help of other people. And so I try and do the same thing that they did for me. And so, yeah, it was difficult. I had to go to school. Um, I had this. You know, George did a lot, too. He, he would book the show a lot. Um, back then, my girlfriend, Jenny, she was kind of a little bit more tech savvy. and uh, But we would get people, listeners, that would reach out. And they would ask if they could come watch the show live. And, you know, it's kind of odd. You bring somebody you've never met into your home. and But everybody just that had that same passion. You know, like if you're going to do martial arts, the first thing you need is discipline. So I felt comfortable with all these people because I knew that some some way, somehow, a little bit of discipline was probably involved in their lives. And so we would bring these people in. And along the way, I remember uh, one guy, he had discovered this thing called Ustream. And he goes, have you ever tried Ustream? And I have no idea what that was. Yeah. He's like, you could be doing like a video format of the show as you're doing uh, the audio as well. And he, I remember he grabbed the laptop and within... Two minutes we we were live on Ustream so there were people that like helped along the way in that aspect so we introduced video and that was the we were the only ones that were doing that nobody else w- was were on video
0: mm-hmm.
1: and which was great because this is the time where it started to get stressful where we had been doing this by for two years and we had to pay Frank Trigg right he had a fee and then um and then we had to live as well and so um, we were just starting to get a few sponsors and all that. And it was starting to get stressful where we were getting close to calling it quits. And I remember George met Dan Up, who was the owner of MMA Junkie at the time. And Dan Up made him a pitch to uh, make it MMA Junkie Radio. And then we would all get our, our salaries, which you know wasn't a whole lot back then. But it was enough to keep everything afloat. And so uh, my whole thing was, this is something that I'm doing until I graduate and then I get my profession and things just, life never let me get to that because the show just kept blowing up and blowing up. So we became MMA Junkie Radio. With the video that we would do, um, it would allow them to recap our interviews and all that. So it gave them content on the show. And then, uh, yeah, from there we moved to the Mandalay Bay. And we had our studio there, and the show just would not stop getting bigger. And to this day, it always just keeps going up.
0: And how how did you how did you get into the Miami Bay? How did you negotiate that? How did that work for you? And were you able to finish up your degree? And um, it seems to me that that this doesn't seem like work for you. It seems like something that you, uh, it's your passion. It seems like it's it's something you really really enjoy. Am I correct in that assessment?
1: I enjoy it, yeah. Um, Part of my passion came from, I always tell the story, but uh, when you were born, or I'll give you in my case, our father was a big sports fan. He loved everything. But he would tell us stories, you know, about meeting Jim Brown at the airport and Nolan Ryan and how he could just shut down a game. And you're born with already baseball, basketball, it's all set. And it has a history. There's a record book and all that mixed martial arts didn't have that. And so there was this fire that here's something that I feel like I can contribute to into becoming a sport. I can be there on day one. And when I die, I can say, I helped build this thing into what it is today. Mm -hmm. That was kind of like the fire that was brewing. That was keeping us going. So one day George was walking through Mandalay Bay and he saw what looked like a little security booth, but there was a guy that looked like he was doing radio or something. So he asked that guy, he said, how did you get in here? And he goes, oh, well, I I do this show. And he goes, I I can put you in contact with these people. Sure. So they gave us a meeting. And um, I remember the day of the meeting, we went in so prepared and you could tell that it seemed like they had forgotten that they had made this meeting. So the guy kind of walked in and kind of had like a, like, who are you again? Like, you know, what what is this about? And we told him, well, we do this and we're on by USA Today and we'd like to see if we can do our show from here. And I remember we could tell, like, maybe the guy just wanted to get out or something. So he just said, 90 days. He goes, how about you get in there for 90 days and just show us what you can do? So we're like, okay. So we moved our equipment in. We did a show for 90 days. And for 90 days, we tried to get as many of the top level superstars as we could. And there were some pretty big shows in that time. And we had our um so like I said, when we would do an interview on MMA Junkie, they would recap it. And in the recaps, they would put in, you know, MMA Junkie Radio broadcasting out of Mandalay Bay or whatever. So we had our our meeting 90 days later, we come in and the guy tells us, he I don't know what the hell you guys are doing. But our Google alerts and all that for Mandalay Bay and MGM properties, you guys are like the highest thing that comes in. Wow. And so we don't really get this. We don't get MMA. We don't understand what you guys are doing, but it's working. So they said, here are your keys. Let's just keep doing this No. Wow. So just became our home and um, yeah, we would do shows from there and there would all kinds of great guests that we would get in there and it looked a lot more professional and, I think people got a kick out of coming to the hotel where the fights actually happened. And, and uh, we would do our show from Mandalay Bay, which till to, to, to today we have our studio there.
0: So how do you, so Brian, and, and this is one of the, one of the reasons I, I I have such high respect for you is that um, <clears throat> you're just really, really, very kind. It's, there's a couple things going on for me. One is you're so passionate about obviously what you do, um, but you're just so kind when you approach people what kind of advice would you give people when they are starting out on their career and, and pursuing their passions? What, would, what advice would you give somebody uh, when they're starting their career and they, and they want to take a jump into a career that's a little bit scary?
1: Yeah. I mean, well, first of all, thank you for that. And um, I think what you have to do is you just, you really obviously have to have, there's a difference between having fun doing something, liking and doing something and having a passion for something. You have to figure out, is this your passion? And you also have to realize that you don't live in this world alone. There are a lot of parts to this world. Um, You can be in a relationship, you have family, you have friends. So you have to make sure that whatever you're about to dive into is gonna mesh with what's going on in your life. Because if you're gonna make a career out of this, if you're gonna dive in, you're gonna have to devote a lot of hours to this. Because um, you can't half-ass something like this. You really have to put everything into it. And along the way, nobody gets anywhere by themselves. I don't care what people say. I used to wake up early and do this and do that. At some point, somebody helped you. How'd you pay the rent? Somebody helped you, right? Um, So you have to make sure that your personal life is in order as well. And that everybody is on board with you with this. And you're going to need it because you're going to have some tough times. You're going to need friends to talk to. You're going to need people to talk to about that stuff. So I would say step one, find out if it really is your passion. And step two, start meeting people. Because uh, the more people you know, the easier things get. And like I said, you're not the only person on this planet. A lot of people have done what you're trying to do, more than likely, and they have probably failed. And you need to learn from their failures. Don't, Don't feel like you can do the whole thing yourself, go in there and fail. When you can learn from other people and what they did and their experiences, and maybe you can help them out along the way, so I would say uh, that's probably step two.
0: And then, so how did you do that? Tell tell me your secret, Brian. Tell me tell me that wonderful. How did you how did you make those connections and associations? What did you do?
1: Well, you just you start to reach out to people. You know, like when we would do an interview, um, I can sit down and think of questions to ask somebody, and that's no problem. But I don't know all these people personally. I mean, a lot of them I do, but there's always new people. So what I like to do is I like to watch other interviews and I like to see, okay, what worked and what didn't work? You know, this guy asked him about his childhood and he seemed like he didn't want to talk about that one bit. So I'm going to stay away from that. But they talked about comic books and he loved it. So I'm going to start off with comic books. I'm going to get him in a good mood and then I'm going to ask the questions I need to ask so you have to do a lot of your your research and don't be afraid to to ask people for help and and figure the figure this thing out you know like i noticed on your show you do this how did you do that you know what's the worst thing they are going to tell you is no i don't want to tell you okay fine at least you know what you're you're dealing with you know if this guy's your friend or not but a lot of times they're going to go oh man it's easy i just did this i did that and then i like to reciprocate you know well hey i noticed you're doing this this might help you you know, try and help as many people, lift as many people up along the way, because you never know when you're going to need them. You never know if you lose your job. Maybe one day you can go work with them.
0: And, and how, how do you how did you deal with the rejection? I mean, were there times where uh, that you felt like, oh, this is not going to work or I don't know if I can keep doing it. how did how, when you when you hit those roadblocks? And I'm sure that you've had those experiences. What did you do to get past that barrier?
1: Man, all the time. I mean, that that happens till today. You know, everything that we've gone through with COVID. And if you look at my industry, completely got flipped on its head. I believe our website was the only website that kept every employee intact. All the other websites lost employees. People lost their jobs, lost their shows. It was pretty depressing, you know, to, to see that. Um, so whenever I hit a barrier, I have a couple little, I wouldn't say secrets, but I... Um, I enjoy hiking. I like to, I wouldn't say I'm the most religious guy, but I'm I'm a spiritual guy. And so one thing that I like to do is I feel like whenever I'm away from this here, which I think is a big deterrent in life sometimes, whenever I'm away from that and it's just me and my thoughts, whether you believe in God or not, or whatever you believe in, I feel like if I can get out into nature, I'm as close as I am to where I need to be. The sound of a waterfall, the trees, the wind, all that is untouched by man. You know, I feel like I'm back at square one and I can think. So whenever I have a moment that I'm not feeling well or a rejection, I like to go to those types of places. And I like to feel that energy, just sit down and just kind of think things out. I play everything in my mind. Everything that I do, I always play it out several different ways. What's the worst thing that can happen and how would I react to that? What's the best thing and how would I react to that? So whenever I feel like that, I like to, I tend to do those types of things. But preparation is a lot. is it's, it's very useful, you know. So I really like to sit back and try and uh, – Figure everything out. Figure out my next play. I don't like to just react to things, just like that. It can work, and there. Are, and I'm, I'm actually, I think I'm okay at it. But there's nothing better than actually playing things out in your head and just uh, figuring out why did I get rejected? What did I do? What did I do wrong? Because you know what? It's not always your fault. It's not always, it's not always something you did. But you have to be able to figure out uh, and analyze why things happened. So what I like to do is just call a timeout, go somewhere, whether that's me putting on my headphones and going for a run or going to a park or going on a hike or even a drive. I tend to be able to process things a little better that way.
0: So when you came up, uh, can you give me an example when you came up with a situation where you can talk about this in general terms where you were, you were frustrated or a situation that came up and you're like, you know, what? I don't know if I'm going to get through this or not, or how am I going to deal with this? And. Um, and maybe at first you thought it was you, and then after you processed, you realize this is not something I can really control. I need to get through this.
1: Well, it's difficult in my industry because there weren't, especially early on, there's not a lot of people that can relate to your issues. They don't understand it. You know, like uh, if I tell somebody I went to an MMA gym and this guy wouldn't give me an interview because this and that, like, if you're not around that, that's not going to make sense to you. You might just go, well, that guy's a dick. Well, maybe he wasn't a dick. Maybe he had a rough day at practice or, you know, maybe he was injured and he didn't want to talk about something because he knew the fight was going to be pulled or something. So there weren't too many people to lean on. I did have a couple people like a, uh, Maro uh, Stitch Duran early on Frank Trigg, those types of people that I would go to and ask those types of questions and say, Hey, this is what happened. What do you think? You know, Should I try something else? And most of the time, those guys would either give you good advice or they would almost give you something that's even better. So, like, if I said, man, I really wanted to get this interview with Mayhem Miller, but he just wasn't receptive to it, it didn't work, a guy like Mauro Ranallo would say something like, well, you know, these things happen, I've dealt with him before, he's not that easy to deal with, but, hey, you know what? What do you think of Andrew Silva? You know him? here's his number, talk to him, you know? And so the situation would get better. But uh, yeah, those are like the, the people that I probably leaned on the most, I think, early on. Um, Stitch Duran has just been in combat sports almost his entire life. And Marl Ronaldo deals with pride at the time, you know? And, and now he's in boxing and WWE. Like, they, they just know so much. So really, I would lean on a lot of people for advice.
0: And that and that gets me into the other part of what what I really appreciate you about uh, you is that um, not only have you pursued your passion, but you you've inspired other people to like the sport as well. So when you had people like me that um, you would email me and uh, you didn't know me, you didn't know me at all. It, I was just a person that emailed you, and you were very responsive. And I think in my own in, in my own professional life and many people that I know are successful. They, have the, they, they respond the same way you do. Um, mm-hmm. Reach out and they make those connections. Um, how difficult has it been for you to make those connections and maintain those relationships?
1: Very difficult. I do want to clarify something. And I don't know that I've ever told anyone this, and I don't even know how it will come off. But when it comes to passion, this show was my passion for a long time. And I think a lot of it had to do with proving people wrong and helping something grow, making a mark on the world. I've always said that when I die, for me, the the biggest measurement is I don't want people, Martin, like you don't know my friend Rodney. okay? It's a guy I grew up with. But if I wanted to describe him to you, I might say, he's a lot like our friend Muna, except, and then I would give you a couple things, right? When I die, I don't want people to say that. I want. I don't want. Pe- I want people to say he. There was nobody like him. That's my goal. Okay. So the show was passion, but I think it was passion until the point where I accomplished what I wanted to do, and that was make my mark on something, help something grow, change people's minds. But along the way, I think I realized that really, I think what my passion is is helping people. I that. And so that's another thing that like people that are listening to this, like your passions are going to change throughout your life. And sometimes you're just going to misidentify them. You're going to think they're one thing, but they're actually something else. I think my passion is helping people. And that's why my degree is in psychology. And, and so right now I think I'm starting to kind of realize that I love what I do, but really my passion is helping people. And, um, I don't know where that's going to take me, you know, I can do this job for a very long time and I love doing this job, but I think if there was ever a moment where this job allowed me not to help people, it would be pretty sad. And so getting your email, I remember that and it's no different than what I did. You know, I emailed Frank Trigg and Ryan Bennett all the time. And what did they do? They invited me into their, their homes, into their studio, you know, helped me, they allowed me to be part of the show. So I often ask myself, like, how did I get here? And I got here because I got help. And so I wanted to continue the traditions that they had on their show because they weren't canceled. You know, Ryan passed away. There was nothing you can do about that. I wanted that to live on, how that show was, was built and add my own flavor to it and George's flavor to it. And so that's one thing that I will always remember was how kind they were to their fans. And we always wanted to do that. And we try our hardest and it's very difficult because there are a lot of you guys. And, um, but I want you guys, I've always wanted you guys to experience the things that I experienced because I'm so grateful that I got to do them. And right now where the sport's changing a little bit, it's getting pretty big. But during that time, we were in a time where I could still, I could do those experiences for you guys. I could take you into an MMA gym and show you what it's like. I can bring fighters next to you so that you can take pictures and talk to them. I can get your hands wrapped by Stitch Duran. I could I could do all that. now. You know, I don't know if I can do it now, but but I could at the time. And I wanted to share that with everyone. So, yeah, um, I love being in contact with people, but it is, it is difficult because there's a lot of them.
0: And, you know, Brian, I, I have to say that one of the things that I really enjoyed was that Um the sport even a few years back was 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 pretty big. It was very, very popular. The UFC would you know have a lot of pay-per-views and um you invited sometimes two three hundred four hundred people to come to Manly Bay to experience and to for you to walk through what the radio experience was like Mm -hmm. and you introduce us to fighters, you introduce us, and I have to tell you the 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 99.9%. 99.9%. In fact, I can't think of one fighter that you had on on there. And they, these were a lot of famous fighters that were so kind to us and so nice to us. And because I think still it was kind of a niche sport. And um, so everybody's pretty tight knit. And I have to tell you, um, you opened up your heart to so many of us and, and gave us an experience that none of us would ever in our lifetime experience. And you did that. And you invited all of us, and and you organized it, and you arranged it, and everyone saw how much passion. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted you wanted you on here is I was so impressed by you is that, how driven you were, how open you were, and you were consistent with not just famous people. The same kindness that you you showed to me and, and exhibited to me was the same kindness that you exhibited to people that worked at Manly Bay, people that you had just met. Mm-hmm. I was so impressed by how driven you were and how open you were to everybody. And that's why I wanted to interview you because I knew that you would be able to give great insight, not only to me, you've you've been a great role model to me, you and your brother, but Thank all the all the driving and how driven you guys were and how you continue to do these things now. So I want to ask you this question now. Uh, give us a little bit about what you're doing now and what your future goals are. Like, where do you see this going? And especially given the COVID 19, I know that's changed a lot, but you're still at it. And uh, if you can give me a little idea of what you're doing now and how you stay focused on these goals now.
1: Wow, that's a difficult question because you're right. COVID 19 has really, really changed things. And this is the scary part of life. So I always tell people you always want to move forward in life, but don't be afraid to go backwards. There's nothing wrong with going backwards. As long as you're learning, From the mistake, you can go backwards, but your real enemy is not moving at all, just staying in the middle. And I'm trying my best not to be that guy. But there's so many things that are going on right now, so many uncertainties that it's making that next step a little bit difficult. And so um, right now, I would say currently what what we're working on is just trying to come up with new ideas and new ways to interview fighters for MMA Junkie. We have little, I've uh, been helping with. Uh, we created a couple new series. One's called Off Guard, which is kind of like your TMZ type interview where we just sneak up on the fighter at the gym or something and we ask them three minutes, three to five minutes worth of questions. And those have been pretty popular. And then uh, I came up with an idea for something that we call the spinning back click. And what that is, is uh, it's usually four of us and we go over some topics for the week, the five biggest topics. and. Kind of like around the horn on ESPN, that type of thing, and then uh, the last one is legend to legend, which is Burt Watson interviewing other fighters, legends. So these little series that we're doing on the side from our normal normal podcast that we normally do, that's kind of like what's been taking the next evolution, but because of COVID nineteen and not really knowing like what the situation is with getting back into our studio and and broadcasting from there five days a week. Um, it's been a little difficult. We also have trips that we, we go out and do to visit the military where we take UFC fighters with us, and and we have a good time with them and, and have a viewing party with them. And we've been doing UFC watch-alongs where people get to watch us broadcast the fights. And that's fun. That's been very, very successful. So I would say those are kind of like the next evolutions of, of what's going on. But my fear is exactly what I told you is staying still. I think that's the silent killer is just not doing anything.
0: That's amazing. I mean, all those ideas are so innovative. I love it. Like you talk about not being afraid of taking a chance and taking the plunge and you just keep moving forward. There's no stop with you. It seems like, and ever since I've known you, you've always had, you were always thinking about the next step and you were aggressively trying to take those steps. I don't think there's ever been a time where, you know, uh, where I, I followed you, I contacted you. you. You weren't doing one project or another project. And um, can you give us all uh, an idea of when? When can they catch you on your podcast? Uh, when can they catch you on your different projects? Like, can you give us a little a little time frame? Are they? Is it weekly Is uh, people want to follow your life? You're an amazing person. So I know I, I love following you.
1: So our show is released on Mondays and Thursdays. Uh, there. Uh, The timing that they post is a little different, just depending on how much work is on the table. Uh, Our spinning back click segment is recorded every Monday, and either George or I are on it, along with other people from our website. And that gets recorded on Mondays, but posted on Tuesdays. And then aside from that, we just do interviews throughout the week, kind of the way you and I are doing it right now. Uh, That's how we do our interviews. And you can catch those sporadic throughout the week on MMA Junkie. And then we also do our show, which is a a side show called the Triple G Show, Gorgeous Georgian Ghost Show. Our good friend Richard Hunter co-hosts that with us. And on that podcast, it's on Patreon. And what we do is um, because our show went from five days a week to two days a week, we, the, the hardcore fans that are used to hearing us every day, we wanted to give them something that they can still catch us five days a week if they like. And so what we do is we've taken Segments that we used to do on our show, like we used to do a stun gun segment, right? Uh, we just made that into a show, a stun gun show, where we we kind of go after things that drove us crazy throughout the week. And so if you subscribe to our Patreon channel, you would get uh, another show where we would talk about MMA, and then maybe one day you'll get a stun gun episode. And then we thought one day, why not do the reverse of the stun gun, which we call the touch of gloves show, where we're actually touching gloves with somebody that we thought did something great in the community that week or or a fighter that really impressed us or something. And we have all these different types of uh, segments that we do there. So we record those during, during the week. So when we're not doing MMA Junkie, we're doing those. And when we're not doing the radio show, we're doing segments and visiting gyms and uh, going off to military bases and stuff like that. So we're, we always have something to do. And
0: they, and, and people can catch you on, on um, all the major podcast platforms?
1: Yeah, so Apple uh, – you know i don't know if you can see it back there but you can see apple podcasts um, stitcher i think people get it from there you can get it on the website at Junkie.com, and um, and then our triple g show is on patreon
0: so here's my other my my other question i i ask this all the time what is the future in 10 years from now where are you going to be what are you going to be doing and and also a little bit about do you have a bucket list in terms of professionally or personally that you you want to achieve, and that uh, you might be afraid of what you're going to try to do it anyway.
1: Well, it's funny you bring that up because I keep my bucket list on my phone, and it is filled with stuff. There are a ton of things that I have you gotta still. You gotta, hear do. You
0: gotta hear some of it.
1: You want to hear some of it? All right, I'm gonna pull great. it up.
0: Absolutely. So I, I, I encourage everyone to do their bucket list, and everyone to aggressively go after their bucket list.
1: Um, I don't know if I can read some of these things, but you know, I'm going to read to you some of the things that have been done and then I'll read to you some of the things that still haven't been done. And some of them, unfortunately I can never do. So like, I'm looking at this It says, go to pride in Japan. That'll never happen. I did get to see pride in the United States. Um, uh, let's see here. So I have them in different categories. I have MMA, sports, life, uh, travel, Las Vegas, music, and then other.
0: How about one from each? How about that?
1: Okay, so from my other list, I'll probably tell you what I'm most impressed with that I got to do, and then what I still need to do. So I'll give you a couple. Uh, What I've done, meet a president. I've met three presidents, I think. Um, Ride in a helicopter. We got to do that in Afghanistan. Um, Break a world record. I, I was part of uh, the largest Santa run ever, which was a 5K run, which is also on my list. So I got to do that. Um, the things that I didn't get to do, uh, let's see. Oh, wait. You know, I haven't ticked off some of these, but Run the Stairs, the Rocky Stairs, I finally got to do that. I've always wanted to be a voice on The Simpsons. I always wanted to be a Simpsons character. Oh, that's
0: great. I love that.
1: Um uh, so yeah, that's, uh, I've always wanted to inv- invent a board game. And I never got to do that. And then um, at my university, during the basketball games, they take the celebrities, and they make fat heads. And they have them in the, in the student section. I've always wanted my head to be on one of those. So uh, that's one from, from other. Music, uh, just see a lot of bands. I like, always wanted to see Metallica. I got to see them, Depeche Mode. But there's a couple on here. Uh, I've always wanted to go to um, the Grand Old Opry. I never got to do that, or see a a concert at Royal Albert Hall. Las Vegas-wise, it was just kind of going to all the Cirque de Soleil shows and stuff like that. I've always uh, traveled. I wanted to visit the wreckage of the Titanic. Haven't been able to do that. I've always wanted to see the pyramids. Haven't been able to do that. Or the running of the bulls. what I did get to do, I've, oh, another major goal was I've always wanted to go to all the continents. And uh, I'm getting closer to that. So, uh, life, I've never broken a bone. I don't know why I kind of want to break a bone one day and have a cast.
0: Oh, no, don't do
1: that. <laughs> uh, I always wanted to adopt a child. So maybe one day I'll do that. And then uh, it's fun. This list goes back to like when I was a kid. So I'm looking at one that says beat my dad at something. I beat him in a game of basketball, so, that got so,
0: you know so I think it's that's why it's very, very important to have these goals, right? I mean, to mm-hmm. have goals and to look at these, to look at that list, and you have that reminder, you have that reminder for what reason?
1: Yeah, it's motivation, you know, it's, you got to have something that you're going towards every day, otherwise there's no, no reason being here.
0: I love that, I love that. So let me hear, here's my last question for you for the day is, If you had to give, um, I guess, uh, if you were to go in the past, if you had to give yourself advice when you were like three or four years old uh, or give somebody advice at that age, what advice would you have given yourself with all the information and knowledge you have
1: now? You know, I would would probably tell myself to... probably treat people you're gonna laugh at this but treat people better it took me a while to figure out a couple things in my life and um you you're i mean you have a degree you're familiar with learned behavior right um a lot of my behavior was learned behavior and i didn't realize that i was getting these behaviors from other people Mm -hmm. it took me a long time to realize that i didn't feel this way, the way I would act. I would do it because I was so used to seeing others do it. And when I, when I realized that I was doing that, a lot of things clicked in my life where I was like, holy crap, why am I acting like this? I'm acting like this because people that are close to me act like this. You know, It's not really what I want to do. When I was able to identify that, my entire life changed. And um, I became a more patient person, more goal-driven person. So I would tell, I probably tell myself to look out for that and to always continue learning and try and don't be afraid to try new things. You know, so many things that I thought I wouldn't enjoy and that friends would just kind of go, hey, you should give this a try. And I'd always roll my eyes like, I want to do that. I would try them and some of those would become some of my passions, you know, like, and it would bug me because I would have this internal struggle where I would say, I would be happy that I learned something new that I loved but I would also beat myself up for not doing it earlier. So I would look at myself and I'm 42 years old and I think I could have been doing this for 42 years if I wasn't so hard headed and could listen to other people and take advice and try new things. So I would tell myself, try new things. And I would really try and drive myself to identify who I really am and what, what, what drives me, what I'm all about and not be a follower.
0: Well, uh, well, I I really really appreciate your time today, uh, goes, and um, your story is very very inspirational. And I'm going to leave it at that because I think everything you said about keep keep learning, keep growing, is exactly what all of us need to do to be successful and to be to have fulfilling lives. So thank you so so much for being here today, and uh, yeah, have a wonderful wonderful day. And thanks again for being here.
1: Thank you, Martin. I appreciate it. And I'm very impressed with everything that you've done in your life and, and that you're even doing this podcast that I know is going to motivate a lot of people and help people. That's, that's what life's all about, man. So thank you for having me.
0: Well, people like you motivate me. That's why I'm doing this. <laughs> and I think, uh, and the whole thing about this is if we can motivate some other people to live a good life and keep pushing and become better people. That's all. Like you said, we're, we're here such a short time in life. We want to make a difference in the world. So thank you so much for making a difference in the world, my friend. Thank you, bud. Take care.